This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Congresswoman MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene, we're going to be talking her new book. Uh, you did something uh, a little different uh, in your endorsements. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I thought, you know, what are the what are the things that people need to read on the back of this book that that they want make them wonder what is in the pages? Uh, so we put some of the folks on the back. I've got a quote from Joe Biden that says, isn't she amazing? I've got Hillary Clinton. This woman should be on a watch list, not in Congress. Uh, I've got a great, great quote from Nancy Pelosi. MTG is the cause for trauma and fear among members of Congress. Um, Liz Cheney, Whoopi Goldberg, and AOC. So I thought, you know what? Let's put them on the back of the book. I don't, I don't need anybody else to say anything more about me. That's right. Congresswoman Marjorie Greene wrote a book, which comes as a real surprise to me for the fact that I had no idea she could read, let alone write, but here we are. Now, she's very excited. She's gone out of her way to promote this book. She tweets about it all the time. She's seemingly tried to convince even liberals to read it by teasing a chapter about the insurrection she participated in. And on top of that, she takes it everywhere she goes, even to parties. And she's even tried to get on the Jimmy Kimmel show and The View in order to promote it. And shockingly, she even managed to film an entire 12-second long promotional video for it in front of a fire pit of all places and somehow resisted her fascistic urge to burn it. And I understand that she obviously doesn't want to burn that book because it's hers, but you'd think that muscle memory alone would be an issue, but apparently not. Now, in true Trumpian fashion, she's even lying about the crowd sizes over promotional events for this book. On December 3rd, she tweeted, wow, over 1,000 patriots showed up tonight for my book signing. And people quickly pointed out that that's not 1,000 people. It's it's a big crowd. Don't get me wrong, but it's not 1,000 people big. But the point is she loves her books, so you can imagine the devastation she felt after learning that certain bookstores would not be carrying it. Newsweek reports, according to the Washington Examiner, Hudson Booksellers said in an email to Donald Trump Jr.'s winning team publishing of its MTG book, quote, we wish you luck with your publishing endeavors, but we will not be carrying your title. Per the publication, Hudson Booksellers explained that its selection is highly subjective and based on sales history. The company is quoted as adding, our stores are small and our shelf space is limited, so we have to make tough decisions about our title mix. Typical liberal cancel culture. They're claiming space is limited, but conservatives know what's really going on. It's a classic case of conservative persecution, and Trump Jr. was quick to point that out, arguing censorship. Hudson Books refuses to carry America First authors. They refuse to carry winning team publishing authors Judge Janine Pirro's book and Carrie Lake's book. Now they're refusing Marjorie Greene at airport bookstores. I also learned that they refuse Mark Levin Show's best-selling book. Why are they ignoring the silent majority? But wait, it gets even worse because Marjorie Greene chimed in, adding, Hudson Booksellers is refusing to sell my 
new book, MTG, in its stores. But the groomers, Hudson Books, sells children's books that lie to innocent little children that they can change their gender. Buy my book, MTG, to read how I'd like to lock up groomers. But wait, there's even more. Another children's book, Grooming Children to Believe Gender Lies Sold by Hudson Books. Shame on them. I hope people stop buying books from these groomers that use their business to sexualize children. Sick people. She concludes saying, Censorship brought to you by the groomers at Hudson Booksellers. They refuse to sell my America First tell-all book, MTG. So their refusal to sell her book doesn't constitute their free exercise of speech. It's censorship, according to her. And the irony of her crying about censorship while saying that she wants to literally imprison writers and publishers for grooming books should not be lost on anyone. But the hypocrisy goes much deeper than that because Marjorie Greene co-sponsored legislation that would actually violate the First Amendment and facilitate the very censorship that she now claims to be against. I'm talking about H.R. 863, which is federal book ban legislation that would effectively outlaw LGBTQ plus books in schools by designating them as pornographic material. And as you can see, she is one of 10 Republicans to support it. And as LGBTQ Nation explains, schools are not distributing pornography to students and publishers are not selling porn magazines to schools to stock their libraries. The mention of sexually explicit material likely refers to books that discuss LGBTQ plus people. Many on the right refer to any discussion of LGBTQ plus people in the presence of children as the sexualization of children. The bill also dovetails with right-wing fear about pornography in schools. Many right-wing activists over the past several years have called any book that discusses sexuality at all pornography, including books that discuss non non-heterosexual family structures. The language has been used to raise the stakes as conservative parents tried to get books by LGBTQ plus authors banned from school districts. And again, Marjorie Greene supports this. I'll repeat that. This proponent of book bans is now whining that her book is being censored. You can't make this shit up, folks. I'm assuming that she expected her book to sell so well that business-minded retailers would want to sell it to profit off of it, but it's not doing well. And to make matters worse, there's been so many negative reviews for her book on Amazon that they literally had to restrict reviews after realizing that her page was just being brigaded. And some of the reviews are downright fucking hilarious, and I've got to read them to you. Quote, difficult to read if you speak proper English, a mixed bag of right-wing rhetorical nonsense and attempts to hide the opinionated racist biases behind it all seems to have been ghostwritten in part by a grammatically challenged middle schooler and partially by AI. Damn, but not a good one. Tough to read but easy to put down after just a chapter or two the the hard part is picking it back up and continuing knowing almost verbatim what is coming next and i love how 421 people found this helpful lovely another one says i was a huge supporter of mtg and voted for her two times but this book is garbage the only thing in this book that is truthful is her name <laughs> was going to buy it for family for christmas but glad i read it first and 2966 people found this review helpful another one when i heard MTG had written a book, my initial thought was it must be a coloring book, but nope. Sure enough, it's actually a book with words in it. Shazam! 3,964 people found this helpful. And finally, I couldn't get through half of the book. MTG is living in a different world than most people. You can tell it stretches the truth and imagination. And we are barely scratching the surface. The 
reception to her book has been so overwhelmingly negative that articles have literally been written about the tweets about her book that joke about using his toilet paper. But it's not just shit posters ripping her book to shreds. There's also actual reviewers who published scathing reviews about it. For example, The Guardian's Lloyd Green writes, Venom, score settling, fiction, self-absolution, self-aggrandizement, Green's book MTG has it all. So I guess the moral of the story is you don't get to cry censorship after you use your position of power to enforce actual censorship. And furthermore, if Marjorie Green is actually a believer in God, she has to suspect that all of this has been God maybe trying to teach her a lesson, right? Maybe he's trying to inform her about the perils of book banning and how the negativity that you put into the world comes back to you. But I mean, I don't think that she's going to think that way because she's incapable of learning anything, but at least we all get a good laugh out of this at her expense, right? I said that it was globes everywhere, there's propaganda, but it's the truth. And you know how many people who don't believe in flat earth, they believe in they believe that we're, you know, in a solar system. They reach out to me, they're like, Candace, you know what? You're right. I have been looking in stores and there are globes everywhere. Like there are globe toys and there's globes in the decorations. And you said that on your show and people thought you were crazy, but it's true. Why are they pushing the globes? And I said, well, I think it's because of NASA and want to spend billions of dollars a month. But they try to say that I'm crazy because I said that. And they still go on my social media and my comments and they say, are you seeing globes everywhere, Candace? Are you seeing globes? I'm like, yeah, I am. You just listened to a rant from Republican lunatic Dr. Candace Taylor, who's responding to criticism she received after she essentially came out as a flat earther on her podcast earlier this year during an interview that she had with someone named Flat Earth Dave. Now, Candace Taylor has become my new favorite lol cow, so I would encourage you to watch my other videos of her if you haven't seen them. But for those of you who missed it, this is her breakout rant about her dumbass globe conspiracy theory. Is it or not? I don't know 100 percent, but it's just it doesn't make sense the other way. It, now that you see it. The people that defend the globe don't know anything about the globe, because if they knew a tenth of what Matt and I know about the globe, they would be flat earthers because it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I can't unsee this. All the globes everywhere. I turn on TV. There's globes in the background. There's globes on there right here. Like this would be a globe if I was a normal person. Like everywhere there's globes. You see them all the time. I mean, it's constant. My children will be like, Mama, globe, 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 globe. They're everywhere. And that's what they do to brainwash. And so for me, if it is not a conspiracy, if it is, you know, real, why are you pushing so hard everywhere I go, every store, you buy a globe, there's globes everywhere, every movie, every TV show, news media, why? Now, we finally get an answer to that million dollar question. They're pushing globes because NASA. And since we spend billions of dollars per month funding NASA, that's why they're doing it, I guess. Now, the problem with this theory is that NASA's annual budget isn't even half of what it was during the Apollo program, and it only makes up around 0.4% to 1% of our total budget because we've now just decided to outsource our space program to billionaires who build dick rockets. So her explanation doesn't, doesn't make, make sense, sense on its face, which is why people are still continuing to make fun of her, myself included, and it's why she's still coping and seething. But after she went viral the first time, a lot of people pounced on her stupidity, including comedian Blair Erskine, and Candace Taylor saw the pair 
parody that she made about her, and she was not happy about this. So here's Blair's parody, followed by Candace Taylor's response. I'm not a scientist because that is a made up job, but I know that the earth is flat, okay? Because if the earth was round, why would maps be flat? They can never answer that, okay? And people want to be like, well, oh, if the earth is, is flat, then what about night and day? Hmm, I don't know. Let me think about it. Maybe because the earth is double-sided and God flips us over when it's time for us to go to bed and flips us back over when it's time for us to wake up like I do with my husband. Like, use your brain. Use your head for a minute. If the earth was round like a globe, everything would be falling off of it. All the oceans would be dripping down it like ice cream, okay? Unless the earth is a DQ blizzard where nothing falls out. But even then, sometimes things do fall out and they do have to give you your money back. So that doesn't really make sense to me. They're trying so hard to make us think the earth is a globe. I see globes on TV, globes at my children's school. I saw a globe at Hobby Lobby, a place of worship, Hobby Lobby. There is a globe there. I mean, if I were a normal person, there would be a globe behind me, but I have a rotary telephone that's not hooked up to anything, so Bill Gates can't track me. I've never said the earth was flat. I've never said that I was a flat earther. Never, ever, ever have I said that. I did not say that globes were fake. I never said that. What I said was that NASA taking billions of dollars every month of our taxpayer money and funding something that we do not see any progression in. If the earth is a globe, which we've always believed the earth is a globe, and we believe that, why do we see globes on all the TV shows, on all the movies, and all the stores? Why are there globes everywhere? Why? Because it's propaganda. It's propaganda for us to be okay with NASA spending billions of dollars of our taxpayer money to fund whatever they want to fund. That does not mean that I'm crazy. That does not mean that I'm unethical. That does not mean that anything that a radical, liberal, psychotic girl in Atlanta who did a parody on me said. Because she did a parody and she said, oh, we can flip the earth upside down and have day and night. I would never have thought to say something so dumb. That is completely idiotic. She said that. Her, not me. And people that say, oh, this is you. No, look at my lips. She had on red lipstick, but she does not have a full front top lip. And I told her that the red was a nice touch, but you don't have the lips for it. She looks nothing like me, praise the Lord. And she writes skits for Saturday Night Live. She has a fake Southern accent. She's an Atlantean. She doesn't sound like me from South Georgia. And she's trying to, but it's not me people. It's her, it's Blair. Her name's Blair. I don't even know her last name. So don't you dare mock her conspiracy theory, okay? She's not a flat earther, contrary to popular belief. She just thinks that globes are part of a propaganda conspiracy created by NASA to brainwash us into believing that the Earth is a sphere. That's all, okay? Nothing flat earthy about that, right? Now, even though she's definitely not a flat earther, no question about that. I think she's being honest when she says she's not. Uh, you might have noticed in the first clip that we watched, which is the most recent one, that she brought back Flat Earth Dave, <laughs> and you might be wondering, well, if she's not a flat earther, why does she keep platforming flat earthers on her podcast, which, by the way, is titled Guns, 
Jesus and babies or Jesus guns and babies, I think either way. But you might be wondering like why, if you're trying to get rid of this label, why would you keep bringing back flat earth Dave of all people? And she actually addressed that in this episode. So I have a show today. Y'all are going to be so impressed that I did this show. I did an interview again with this guy because I made the Rolling Stones twice and then AJC multiple times, it went viral. You know, they've called me a flat earther. They've all this stuff. Um, didn't want me to get elected to the GOP because they said I was crazy. But I will interview whoever I want to. This is America. So welcome to David Wiles. Back to my show. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Candace. And I want to say the earth is not flat. It is a topographical level plane with hills and valleys and mountains and trenches. But water tells us that the earth is level. Gee, I just can't imagine why anyone would think she's a flat earther. Now, in case you were wondering, uh, no, she didn't challenge his flat earth rhetoric. Shocking, I know. And it's because she is, wait for it, a motherfucking flat earther. <laughs> she's a flat earther. You can say that you're not a flat earther, but if you keep doing flat earth things and saying flat earth things, I think that it's not uncharitable to put you in that camp. It's like the right-wing grifters who say, no, I'm actually a liberal or I'm more of a centrist when they say nothing but right-wing propaganda talking points and they exclusively attack the left. Think Tim Pool, think Jimmy Dore. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think that it's unreasonable to say she's a flat earther, because she's a flat earther. But ultimately, if you cut to the core, this is her main belief. Anytime we get this conversation brought up, some people are passionate about it being flat. They're passionate about it being a globe. But then there's other people, I think, like me and other people, which I believe in creation, 100%. I believe in a firmament. I believe in creation. I believe what the word says. But we are like, I don't really care either way. I believe in Jesus. I love how she's trying so hard to fence it so she appears more reasonable but still ends up looking insane by expressing support for creationism, which means that she believes that the Earth is like 5,000 years old or 6,000 years old at most. I mean, there are layers here to the stupidity. Now, you might be wondering, Mike, there are literally millions of Republicans across the country with idiotic views. Why all the focus on Candace? And it's because she's not just any ordinary Republican. She is a GOP leader who is in a position of power and influence. Not only is she the chair of the Republican Party in Georgia's first congressional district, but she was a gubernatorial candidate in Georgia's 2022 election. Now, thankfully, she lost by more than 70 points and only got 3.4% of the vote. But despite that, she still refused to concede and claims that the election was stolen from her. And she's even gained the support of other prominent election deniers like Mike Lindell, who tried to bolster her claims. Case in point. We have preliminary evidence that Candace Taylor... For every single vote that Kemp got, he took her, got their votes, and then Candace got five percent back. Now these are these are these are all through the the, the um all the precinct. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a Republican civil war going on at the national and state levels. And at the state level in Georgia, people like Candace Taylor are trying to move up in the ranks to cleanse the party of rhinos like their governor, Brian Kemp. So her flat earth views might be fringe, but that could change if she is able to continue building her profile in Georgia. And given the state of American politics right now, I wouldn't be surprised if she one day was elected to Georgia's legislature or even Congress, because 
that's kind of the direction that our country is heading in, unfortunately. But until then, Candace Taylor is unquestionably my favorite lull cow this year, and I will continue to milk her for lulls so long as she keeps pumping out these bangers. Now, in conclusion, I'm going to leave you with a Candace Taylor music video that I made for absolutely no reason one day. So, um, enjoy. Everywhere there's glow, mama. you see them all the time. I mean, it's constant. Glow, so my children glow, are like, mama, glow, 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 glow. glow. I turn mama. on TV, there's glow in the background. Every TV show, news, media, Moms for Liberty is a fascist organization that originally materialized in opposition to COVID-19 safety precautions in schools, but quickly became known for their anti-LGBTQ plus policies in education. Now, we're not just talking about an ordinary collection of angry conservative Karens who decided to organize. Moms for Liberty is designated as an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center with known ties to extremist organizations like the Proud Boys, and some chapters even have ties to right-wing militias like the Sovereign Citizen and even QAnon. And Vice News has documented harassment and intimidation of school board officials and even students. So these aren't ordinary moms. We're talking about momsies. And I don't think that it's uncharitable to call them momsies considering the number of oopsies that they've made. For example, the Hamilton County chapter in Indiana was forced to apologize after they quoted Hitler in their first issue of their Parental Brigade newsletter. And the shenanigans haven't stopped since then. Last month, members of a Florida chapter literally reported a librarian to the sheriff's office claiming that she committed a felony by sharing pornography with minors. But in actuality, the librarian checked out a young adult novel to a 17-year-old student, and to make matters worse, the entire thing was orchestrated by Moms for Liberty. So they got a teacher to ask a student to check out the book, and once it was checked out, said teacher then gave it to Moms for Liberty so they can then file a police report, and they did. And the teacher there was in cahoots with them and didn't even work for the district. She was none other than Vicky Baguette, who successfully got more than 100 books banned in her own district. But you might be thinking, Mike, you're being too hard on them. They've done some good things. For example, in their Telegram channel, they've shared information about a Christmas toy drive for needy children. And sure, that is good, theoretically speaking. But there is a catch, as explained by this TikTok. Unfortunately, what I'm about to show you is real. It's from my friend, Laura Burkhart, who has all the receipts in the world. This screenshot comes from the Moms for Liberty Uncensored Telegram channel. Operation White Christmas. The fourth annual Operation White Christmas is underway. Operation White Christmas is an online toy drive for white families in need. 
In the interest of racial justice and pro-white advocacy, we want to ensure that white families in need are not turned away as they frequently are by other charitable efforts. Now I am the epitome of white and I've done a lot of charity drives and toy drives and I have never seen one with a race requirement. So when they say white Christmas, they're not just talking about snow. Now, the whites only toy drive they shared was organized by the National Justice Party, which is not a real political party. Rather, it is a neo-Nazi group comprised mostly of white supremacists who attended the 2017 Charlottesville March. And that group's event is being promoted in a Moms for Liberty Telegram channel. Now, we're barely scratching the surface here, but by now, I'm sure you kind of get the sense as to what this organization represents and what it's all about, which is why I call them momsies. And now you can probably see why that's that's actually pretty pretty accurate. But the growing prominence of Moms for Liberty in school districts across the country, thankfully, has led to colossal backlash because once other parents find out what they're about, well, they reject what they're doing. As the New York Post reports, progressives dominated school board elections in November after putting up with Moms for Liberty's bullshit for two years, and a majority of the 130 candidates Moms for Liberty endorsed failed to win seats on school boards. In other words, they galvanized normal parents who opposed their fascistic and hateful tactics, and things have only gotten worse for them since then. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports, Philip Fisher is a pastor and Republican ward leader who coordinates faith-based outreach for Philadelphia's Moms for Liberty chapter. He's also a registered sex offender due to a 2012 felony conviction for aggravated sexual abuse of a 14-year-old boy when Fisher was 25. A national spokesperson for Moms for Liberty did not respond to a request for comment about Fisher's criminal history. Sheila Armstrong, another Republican ward leader who chairs the local Moms for Liberty chapter, said she was also surprised. She said Fisher has been active in community outreach events with local and federal law enforcement, and she expressed concern that children were sometimes part of that. The National Moms for Liberty organization held a summit in Philadelphia this past summer where denying transgender identity for children and removing books from school libraries were major themes. So while they were busy screeching about the need to protect children from LGBTQ plus people by banning queer books and gender affirming care, they seemed to overlook the fact entirely that the real threat was among their ranks. It's always the people who you suspect the most, isn't it? But that's not all, because the Florida Center for Government Accountability reports Christian Ziegler, Florida's GOP chairman and husband of Sarasota County School Board member and Moms for Liberty co-founder Bridget Ziegler, is under criminal investigation after a woman filed a complaint with the Sarasota Police Department alleging the longtime Republican official had raped her. And this is according to a heavily redacted police report obtained by the Florida Trident. The complaint was filed on October 4th, and the alleged sexual battery occurred inside the woman's home in Sarasota on October 7th. Second, according to the report, among the few words that went unredacted in the report are rape and sexual assault complaint. Now, the Orlando Sentinel adds Ziegler and the woman who he'd known for 20 years agreed to have a sexual encounter, including his wife, on October 2nd. But the woman canceled when she learned Bridget was unable to make it, police said in the affidavit. The woman told detectives she opened her door to walk her dog and Ziegler entered her apartment and sexually assaulted her, the affidavit states. The victim advised Christian did not wear a condom and he stated, quote, I'm leaving the same way I came in, the affidavit states. Now, to be clear, no allegations have been made against Bridget Ziegler at the time that I record this video, at least, and every sexual encounter that she's had with the accuser has been consensual as far as we know, but this is all problematic for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the husband of a Moms for Liberty co-founder is an alleged sexual predator. 
Second of all, as Alejandro Carballo points out, Bridget Ziegler might not be a predator herself, but she is a major proponent of LGBTQ plus censorship in Florida, even though she is a closeted bisexual. So if LGBTQ plus people supposedly pose a threat to children, as this organization suggests, wouldn't it logically follow that Bridget Ziegler, a bisexual woman, also poses a threat to children? Hmm. Now, she's not the first hate-mongering closet case to get exposed, and she certainly won't be the last. But the fuck-ups for this organization keep piling up, and after taking repeated L's, at some point the members of this organization and chapters across the country are going to have to distance themselves from the bigger organization if they want people to believe that they actually care about kids. But here's the thing, they don't. They never cared about kids, but as the organization continues to implode, more people are going to learn that they are the ones we should be protecting children from, because as the saying goes, every conservative accusation is a confession, and Moms for Liberty is demonstrating how true that is in real time. So we'll have to see how long this organization survives, but this is all turmoil that is completely self-inflicted, and uh, it's not really that surprising because conservatives who are genuinely bad people are gonna do bad things so i don't find this surprising but it's nice to kind of see this terrible fascistic momsy organization um shit the bed Mike Johnson was largely unknown before becoming Speaker of the House, but once he was elected Speaker, we quickly learned that he was one of the individuals to support Trump's attempt to overthrow U.S. democracy, and we also learned that he hates gays. And when I say hates gays, I mean he really, really, really f***ing hates gay people, and there are countless examples to demonstrate this. After the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, Clarence Thomas expressed his intent to revisit the Obergefell decision in a concurring opinion, and Johnson defended and agreed with Thomas, saying, There's been some really bad law made. He said, They've made a mess of our jurisprudence in this country for the last several decades, and maybe some of that needs to be cleaned up. And it's not surprising, considering he wrote an op-ed in 2003 supporting the criminalization of homosexuality. Also, Rolling Stone reports, talking to Pastor Jim Garlow on a broadcast of the World Prayer Network, Johnson spoke ominously of America facing a civilizational moment. He said the only question is, is God going to allow our nation to enter a time of judgment for our collective sins, or is he going to give us one more chance to restore the foundations and return to him? The segment was filmed on October 3rd, just weeks before Johnson's unexpected rise to become Speaker of the House. Garlow pressed the clean-cut Louisiana congressman to say more about this time of judgment for America. Johnson replied, the culture is so dark and depraved that it almost seems irredeemable. He cited as supposed evidence the decline of national church attendance and the rise of LGBTQ youth. The fact, Johnson lamented, that one in four high school students identifies as something other than straight. Now, LGBTQ Nation adds, more recently as a member of Congress, Johnson introduced a federal version of Florida's Don't Say Gay law, falsely accused President Joe Biden of breaking federal law by displaying the Progress Pride flag outside the White House and claimed that parents do not have the right to provide their children with access to gender-affirming health care. 
They go on, Johnson still sits on the board of a conservative Christian publishing company that says monkeypox is the appropriate penalty for being gay. His wife, Kelly, runs a Christian counseling service that compared LGBTQ plus identities to bestiality on its website. So his views alone are detestable in and of itself. But earlier this month, the Daily Beast discovered some of the clients that he represented in his capacity as a constitutional lawyer, and they write, The Daily Beast's review turned up one former Johnson client who said the government should be a terror to abortion providers and the LGBTQ community, another who opposed the condemnation of domestic terrorist attacks on abortion clinics, and another client who went on to record himself endorsing the hanging of government officials while in the thick of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. That former client now leads a militant organization tied to one of the darkest chapters in the anti-abortion movement, the 2009 murder of a Kansas abortion doctor. And that plaintiff's father also turned to John when he wanted to secure a permit in 2003 for an anti-LGBTQ protest, a protest that ended in the attempted stabbing of a gay man. So he has terrible views, he hates gay people, and he hangs out with people who have terrible views, who also hate gay people. Now, unsurprisingly, he is not a fan of trans people as well, and he inadvertently exposed his own perversion while arguing against trans inclusion. So if a 16-year-old high school boy says he's transgender and he can get somebody of some authority in his life to back that up. He doesn't have to have undergone any kind of surgery, any kind of hormonal treatments, anything. A 16-year-old boy, that is anatomically a 16-year-old boy, according to Barack Obama and the DOJ and the DOE. He can play softball? Showers in the girls' locker. Uh, all of that. That's exactly right. And that's the problem. These terms are vague, unconstitutionally vague, by the way. Gender identity, no one knows what that means. And even an effort to define it, um, it is going to even cause more problems. So, yeah, look, Robert, I went to Captain Shreve High School. I graduated in 1990. My, my crew, my boys, I mean, look, I can tell you, they would have just said, hey, next Thursday is Gender Identity Day, man. You know, we're going to self-identify as girls, and we're going to be in the other locker room. I mean, it opens it up to hijinks and all sorts of, of problems. Well, my friend group consisted of degenerate, horny perverts. Therefore, all trans people must be predators too. Okay? That is not the own that you think it is. In fact, I would call it a cell phone if it wasn't for the fact that if his friends indeed decided to perv on girls, something tells me that Johnson himself would not be interested in joining them, if you know what I mean. I get the sense that he's never really been interested in girls, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Listen, everybody is thinking it, but nobody wants to say it, so allow me to fall on the sword for everyone. Mike Johnson is probably... Most certainly gay. We're talking Marcus Bachman, six on the Kinsey scale, gay. And, and I say this because his lifelong fixation with homosexuality, it just makes him so sus to me. And I think that it's a classic case of doth protest too much. And it's not like there isn't precedent for this. Gayhomophobe.com has tracked dozens of homophobic pastors and politicians that were all caught in gay sex scandals. And this doesn't even include Tennessee Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, who was posting fire emojis under twink bussy pics. So it all goes back to the question of, if you hate gay people so much, why do they live in your head rent-free? It's a little bit suspicious, right? Why do you spend so much time thinking about them and seething over them? It's because you're trying to throw us off the scent. I can't think that it's anything but that. 
but we see you, Mr. Johnson. And I feel like we've advanced to the point where most closeted Republicans know that they're going to look really suspicious if they play up their hatred of gay people. So most Republicans who have common sense largely avoid the issue altogether and just choose to suffer in silence and write books about how manly they are because everyone knows being the most vocally anti-gay is going to make people think that you yourself are gay. Look, I was the biggest homophobe on earth as a teenager, but towards the end of my teenage years, even I progressed to the, I don't care if you're gay, bro, as long as you're not hitting on me until I eventually just came out of the closet. Hell, even Lindsey Graham knows that nothing is going to arouse more suspicion than LARPing as a homophobe. And as a Republican without a beard, he knows that he's on thin ice already, so he can't do anything to draw unwanted attention towards him. So he's playing it safe. But Johnson is a not doing that. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter why people are homophobic. Sure, the loudest ones are often externalizing their internal struggle, or perhaps they're jealous of people living their authentic lives, so that hate might actually be genuine. But I don't care. Homophobia is wrong, full stop. And as someone in a position of power, he could harm a lot of queer people who are completely innocent, just trying to live their lives. So regardless of Mike Johnson's sexuality, whether he is a closet case or an actual straight person who happens to be metrosexual, doubtful, but even if that's the case, he should know that his obsession with gay people makes him look like a giant f**k. My story started when I was 11 and was introduced to a single kiss in a scholastic book. I didn't understand why I liked it. This was the start of my porn addiction journey. Sure, Jan. No, your ears are not deceiving you, my friend. She just blamed scholastic books for her porn addiction because of a picture that she saw of two people kissing in one of the books that they published. Now, this testimony took place during a board of trustees meeting in the Conroe School District in Texas, and she is there basically to pitch a ban on all scholastic books for schools in this district. Now, in case you're wondering, because I'm sure you are, this is the picture that she is referring to that is responsible for her porn addiction. Yeah, I'm sure that looking at it just gets you all hot and bothered. But, um, you know, first of all, I just got to say I am a little bit thankful that she's at least not blaming gay or trans people for her porn addiction. This one is all on you straight people. But it is odd to me that she's blaming scholastic books, all of them in particular, because kissing is being portrayed. I mean, kissing is something that is portrayed everywhere. It's unavoidable. But as you'll soon learn, there's a very specific reason why she's blaming scholastic books. And she's probably lying or at a minimum, if we're being really charitable here, embellishing when it comes to this story. But nevertheless, there is more and uh, we're going to hear it. So specifically, this is what happened after she saw that kiss. I was then very curious and began exploring and it only got worse. I looked for other books that gave me pleasure, and it led to internet searches that I will never forget. I was addicted every night, and it was something I immediately regretted and eventually became depressed about. When I was 13 years old, I told my mom I wanted to die. My battle with porn addiction ended seven years ago, and I've never told this story to the public. I didn't even tell my mom until I was 18 years old. I'm only telling you this today because there are way too many stories which are much worse. I don't want Conroe ISD students to repeat what I went through because they accidentally ran upon a scholastic book or another book that could lead them down this road, which drama is one of them. 
This isn't about banning books. This is about sexual obscenity. I wasn't exposed to this level of sexual material, but I was already captured by a single kiss. Getting rid of scholastic books and their book fairs will inevitably protect kids, but it's your decision. What do you want to do? What, where do you want history to go down? Do you want kids to be exposed to this kind of material? Because I was, and I don't want any other kids to. It's not about banning books, I promise you that. It's about protecting the children. Now, if she actually struggled with a porn addiction and it caused that much mental health problems, I feel bad for her, genuinely so. But you'll have to forgive me for doubting the sincerity of her claim here, given the conflict of interest that she failed to mention. That's right, because investigative journalist Judd Legum discovered that that woman, Lena Burkhardt, is actually the public relations coordinator at Brave Books, a conservative competitor to Scholastic Books. Legum explains, Brave Books offers a slew of children's books with conservative messaging written by right-wing influencers and politicians. Authors on Brave Books' website include actor Kevin Sorbo, United States Representative Dan Crenshaw, Donald Trump's former press secretary Sean Spicer, and Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn. But wait, there's more. Brave Books also published stochastic terrorist Chaya Raichik's children's book, white supremacist Jack Posobiec's children's book, and a book by conservative influencer Ashley St. Clair, which is described as the conservative response to gender identity. So she works for a conservative alternative to scholastic books, and Brave Books, her employer, along with their affiliate Skytree book fairs, have gone out of their way to lie and defame scholastic books. They've accused them of publishing graphic content, and Legab also uncovered that the website StopScholastic.com redirects people to Skytree book fairs, where it condemns Scholastic for publishing LGBTQ plus books. And it's not a coincidence that Brave Books and Skytree book fair also shared her appearance in order to further demonstrate how harmful Scholastic books are so they can push them as an alternative. In other words, that woman is a plant for a conservative company who is lobbying school boards to replace scholastic books with their conservative alternatives. But regardless, it actually worked. Legum reports, Burkhardt's gambit has already had an impact. The Conrail School Board, after listening to her story, voted to restrict access to drama, the scholastic book featuring a kiss from all students in the eighth grade and below. One of the school board members, Melissa Dungan, suggested replacing scholastic with Skytree book fairs. All glory to God, Burkhart posted in response to the news. But of course, Lena made sure to delete that response after she was exposed. So they're all doing this out in the open. But if you're going to make claims in service of your political, or in this case, business agenda, wouldn't you at least try to tone it down a little bit to make it more believable? I mean, if her claim wasn't so goddamn outrageous, nobody probably would have even bothered to look into it. But conservatives can't help themselves, right? They don't just lie compulsively. They do it in the most insane, hyperbolic way imaginable. But somehow, that is not the most outrageous claim during a public testimony that we're going to be looking at in this video. That award actually goes to this woman. Hello, my name is Erin Mazzoni, and my address is on file. I just moved here from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Hearing what this person just said really upsets me because our entire community up north fell apart. It was like watching a bad car accident for three years straight. It started out as pride coming in, and I thought everything would be okay. I was totally fine with them having and doing what they wanted under the laws. And it ended with a rainbow room where eight to 12-year-old kids were given butt plugs and dildos. And 
trained. They just got a city grant for $650,000 to be able to do more training on the children. Just give her the Oscar already. She's earned it. So I just have to restate here what she said because I know you're probably questioning whether or not you heard her correctly. And you did, but just so we're clear here. She is alleging that the Rainbow Room, an LGBTQ plus youth organization, gave 8 to 12-year-olds dildos and butt plugs because they just hand those out for free, I guess, especially to children. And, of course, there's no evidence for this claim. And Phil Williams, chief investigative reporter for News Channel 5 in Tennessee, explains that the Bucks County Rainbow Room, quote, is an LGBTQIA plus youth program that provides a supportive and empowering environment for youth ages 14 to 21 located at a progressive church. Now, yes, sex education is one of the services that they provide, but as Pink News points out, there's zero evidence of butt plugs. And this person responded to the viral video writing, I actually work in Bucks County, and this is the first time hearing about free butt plugs and dildos. Maybe she's so upset because she didn't get in line early enough to claim hers. I mean, it's entirely possible, right? Now, I actually feel a little bit foolish because I actually didn't think it was possible for conservatives to concoct a more idiotic lie about kids in schools than the whole kids are identifying as cats and shitting in litter boxes at schools myth but here we are i think this one takes the cake now i'm sure that you'll also not be surprised to learn that this woman is also a political operative phil williams reports that she's been identified as the campaign manager of franklin tennessee mayoral candidate gabrielle hansen who went viral herself after refusing to apologize for inviting nazis to her candidate forum now conservatives watching this will inevitably say mike you leftoids think that everyone you disagree with is a nazi but let's hear it straight from the horse's mouth LGBTQ Nation reports in a Telegram post earlier this year, Brad Lewis, a self-described friend of Hansen's and a leader of the white supremacist group, Tennessee Active Club, that accompanied her to the event, proudly claimed, quote, I'm not a conservative. I'm an actual literal Nazi. And this is what Hansen said about them, quote, I'm not going to denounce anybody their right to be whatever it is that they want to be, whether I agree with what they do in their personal life or not. Hansen said of the self-proclaimed white supremacist she invited to the event to provide security. So they are pretty. Clear. Now, for some additional context, here's a report from Phil Williams again, who was at the event in question. Someone said you were here making a statement. I don't know what that statement is. No, we're not making a that? statement. We're here we for uh, Gabrielle Hansen's statement. You are? Yeah. Okay. White supremacists so protecting a candidate who has made fighting LGBTQ pride events a focus of her campaign for mayor. Some were not too eager for their identities to be known. We're just making sure everything goes well. Okay, and are you concerned about things not going well? It's a possibility and we're just here to protect Gabrielle. You're here to protect her? Yes. I hear you're all here for Gabrielle? Yes, yes sir. So, so what, what, what's the purpose? Uh, we're just here to show her some support, that's all. The man on the left is Sean Kaufman, who has been described by the Stop Anti-Semitism watchdog group as, quote, a disturbed neo-Nazi and Holocaust denier with a documented history of violence and a massive cache of firearms. A video posted online shows Kaufman and other extremists earlier this year outside a nonprofit group's drag show fundraiser. There's Kaufman giving a Nazi salute. He also showed up at a Chattanooga drag show last year with other extremists. In 2020, Kaufman was arrested for disorderly conduct at a Black Lives Matter protest. Gabrielle's a friend of mine, and uh, she's had some credible threats against her, so uh, 
Well, uh, I'm just uh, posted up out here. <laughs> okay. Show her some support. Then there's Brad Lewis. He's the operator of the Lewis Country Store on the far west side of Nashville, a store known for its extreme right-wing messaging. When the store recently went on the market, Gabrielle Hansen was the real estate agent who got the listing. A recent investigation by the Southern Poverty Law Center revealed how the second floor of the store was being used as a white nationalist fight club. Yeah. So just to recap, the crying butt plug lady is the campaign manager of a Republican with direct ties to neo-Nazis, or I should say was her campaign manager because Gabrielle Hansen lost, thankfully. But this lie about butt plugs and dildos is completely unsurprising because Nazis will say anything to justify their harassment and terrorizing of queer people. But on the subject of dildos, which is a segue that I never thought that I would see on this show, there's a passage from a novel that is highly contentious in conservative circles, and I'm going to let Louisiana Senator John Kennedy read it for us. I got a new strap-on harness today. I can't wait to put it on you. It will fit my favorite dildo perfectly. You're going to look so hot. I can't wait to have your cock in my mouth. I'm going to give you the blowjob of your life. Then I want you inside of me. I love how the eye contact at the end there just really conveys the character's passion. I think you really sold it. Now, yes, the book Gender Queer is recommended for mature teens and adults, and its inclusion at some school libraries has been contested by conservatives, one of them being this woman. Meet Massachusetts Secretary of State candidate Rayla Campbell. She is a Republican, and as LGBTQ Nation explains, Campbell has a history of making outlandish claims about Massachusetts' public education system. At the state GOP party convention in May, she asserted with no evidence that fifth graders were being encouraged to perform sex acts on each other. She also attacked genderqueer. Quote, this is not sexual education. This is child porn and sex trafficking. This book is being pushed out in our public schools, Campbell said of Maya Kobabi's illustrated memoir. Now, first of all, to say that this book is being pushed suggests that it's part of school curriculums, when there is zero evidence that it is part of any school's curriculum around the country. Second of all, Saying that the book is porn is one thing, but saying that it's CP is something entirely different. That means that anyone who owns a copy of Genderqueer is in possession, technically, by her logic, of CP, which is a crime. Now, during her appearance at a Back the Blue rally back in August, she brought a copy of what she calls CP with her, presumably to show fellow Back the Blue bootlickers how bad it is in an effort to gin up support for a ban or something. But after claiming the book that she had on her person contained CP, well, an anonymous person reported her to the police for, you guessed it, possibly possessing CP, where she then had to presumably prove to an officer that the book didn't actually contain CP and that she didn't have CP on her. Here's a clip from the incident. By the people she backs. Back the blue, right, Rayla Campbell? Campbell! Don't resist, Rayla! <laughs> See, this is why it's so important that we are factual with the claims that we make. Now, look, she has the right to advocate against this book if she thinks it's inappropriate, fine. But rather than just being truthful, she decided to lie about the book. And that lie came back to bite her in the ass because she was humiliated and liberals filmed her and taunted her as she was being talked to by the police. 
Jesus Christ. Now, I've got one more for you because uh, some conservatives, they don't bother to cloak their agenda in hyperbole or lies. They just cut to the chase. So uh, we're going to hear from an Oklahoma State Board Education public commenter. And uh, this woman is just going to admit she wants to kill gay people. Full stop. Instead of listening to what I misspoke last at the last meeting, I want to make a clarification. So let's just hear it straight from him. If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Oh, lovely. I tore it. Okay, well. Sorry, I was a little exuberant. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since, they may, since what may be known about God is plain to them because, because God has made it plain to them. Do not be deceived, neither the sexual, sexual immor, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. All of that was to clarify what God actually said uh, and to remind all of us that this destructive lifestyle is not uh, natural. Great passage, but here's my favorite one from Leviticus. 19.19 says, you must obey all my decrees. Do not mate two different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven from two different kinds of thread. Now, I can't see the pants that she's wearing, but I'm assuming that it is a different fabric from her shirt. In other words, we're both going to hell, Karen. I'll see you there. Now, you're probably wondering who this is. Is she a political operative or a business insider? And actually, this one might surprise you the most. That's my auntie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's seemingly a random Karen, but in conclusion, yes, these conservatives are lying. But some of them might be dumb enough to believe their own bullshit, which is why it's hard to really say definitively that they're lying, because some of them might just be drunk on their own Kool-Aid. And I say this especially because a lot of conservatives are becoming more and more delusional, right? Because as they grow more detached from reality, their perspectives are going to shift further and further from the rest of us. And if that's the case, then we're going to see this trend continue. It's a product of radicalization. But as they resort to exaggeration and lies and outright defamation at times, it's more important than ever that we all remain committed to the truth ourselves. Because hyperbolic lies might persuade some Americans momentarily or at least get their attention, but remaining committed to the truth is how you build long-term credibility and permanently change hearts and minds, which is the point if you're interested in politics. So I'll stick to that, and these morons can keep floundering with nonsensical bullshit. This isn't how it's supposed to be. You know, growing up, we were told, you know, go to college, get a degree, work to support your family here we are did that now what now what <laughs> and
An increasing number of people on TikTok have been sharing stories of their survival in late-stage capitalist America, and I want to take some time to look at several of these videos and explain why things are still so bad for working Americans despite headlines claiming otherwise. Now, I do want to go back to the woman that we just heard from. She's actually a nurse who went viral for telling her story on TikTok, and here's more from her. I feel like my husband and I are doing everything right we both have good jobs. I'm a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. I work full-time. He works full-time. We just got paid this past Friday, right? We paid the mortgage. Bought some groceries. Put some gas in the car. And guys, it is Tuesday. And we have like two or three hundred dollars to last us until next Friday. Like, we don't live in a big house. We we live in a little, just, a little ranch. It's 1,100 square feet, three bedrooms, one bath, us and our two kids. And like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm in school full time. I work full-time. He works more than full-time. He works overtime every week. I don't know what to do. I'm so stressed out. <laughs> Now, her story is not uncommon. In fact, 62% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and it's now the main living style, as CNBC reports. And 63% of Americans can't afford a $500 emergency, meaning you'll only be able to get by until you fall behind. But if her or her husband gets sick and misses work, or they get a flat tire, or they have some sort of a medical emergency not covered by their insurance, they could fall into poverty. And once you fall into this hole, it's really hard to dig yourself out of it. It goes back to the famous Tay tweet. Being poor now just leads to being more poor later. Can't pay to clean your teeth? Next year, pay for a root canal. Can't pay for a new mattress? Next year, pay for back surgery. Can't pay to get that lump checked out? Next year, pay for stage 3 cancer. Poverty charges interest. And that's exactly correct. If you have an unexpected emergency, you might put the cost of that on a credit card or borrow money from a payday lender. And when you do these things, you begin to fall into debt if you don't have the money for these emergency expenses. So we're sold this myth of meritocracy, where if you work really hard, you'll be successful. But that is demonstrably untrue, because even people who are successful by traditional standards are getting by by the skin on their teeth. And it shouldn't be that way, right? Now, some people might argue that her, along with everyone else who's living paycheck to paycheck, well, they're at least getting by. And that is good in and of itself. It could always be worse, and that's true. But when you're working a full-time job, you shouldn't just barely get by in the richest country on earth. You should be able to save money, go on vacation, buy something nice for yourself once in a while. You shouldn't work yourself to death to only perpetually struggle forever. That just, that's cruel. 
But there are people who did fall behind that aren't even getting by anymore like that nurse with the bare minimum. And these stories are becoming all too common now as well. Take this 24-year-old TikToker, for example, who went viral documenting her experience being unhoused and living in her car. She gets ready in her car. She has to brush her teeth in a public bathroom. And as you can see, she says that she felt embarrassed when the lady was in there staring at her. And we often hear this myth from conservatives that unhoused people are lazy and they don't want to work. But she's working. She's still unhoused. She just doesn't make enough money to afford a place to stay. And wages aren't keeping up with inflation. And thankfully, inflation has come down, but it's still bad. And the cost of living rises every single year between 1% and 3%. And that's just in a typical year because rent actually surged 15% during the first two years of the pandemic. And now, thankfully, it's increasing at a more stable rate, as the Washington Post points out. But even though the cost of rent is increasing slower, it's still increasing. It increases 1% to 3% every single year, and it's still increasing following that 15% spike. This is why so many people face housing insecurity. Now, just to give you some perspective, here's an ad for homes from the 1950s posted by Reddit user LuckyStrike85. You can buy a two-bedroom, one-bath home for $7,450 with a monthly payment of $47.92 or a three-bedroom, one-bath home for $7,900 with a monthly payment of $49.74. Now, to put that in perspective, the OP points out that that's around $95,000 dollars in today's value and another user explains in 1950 the federal minimum wage was 75 cents an hour that would cover one of these mortgage payments in about a week and a half at 40 hours per week i live in an apartment making 22 dollars an hour and the only reason i can manage to cover rent in a similar time frame is that my two roommates and i split the rent now there is a lot of generational animosity rightfully so because the boomers who were born into that economy voted it away by supporting neoliberal politicians for decades. And there's this idea that after boomers built up their wealth, they then took away those same opportunities from their children and then lambasted us for not being as successful as them. And they also call us lazy. And honestly, I'm not one to generalize all boomers, but if you know an older person who helped usher in the Reagan revolution, you largely can thank them for putting us on this current trajectory at least. But having said that though, boomers are not monolithic. Not all of them supported Reagan. Not all of them are responsible for this current situation. Many of them are powerless just as we are. And many of them are actually now suffering as a result of this late-stage capitalist economy that we find ourselves in, and regardless if they supported politicians that replaced their pensions with 401ks or shifted the tax burden off of the rich and onto them, we are now on the cusp of a boomer catastrophe known as the silver tsunami, and this TikTok explains it well. Baby boomers are becoming homeless, and that's what spending... Oh, and this is just getting started. I mean, it's even got its own nifty little name. Look at this. The silver tsunami... And what is the silver tsunami, you might ask? The silver tsunami refers to all of the aging boomers that are going to be of retirement age and are not going to be in the workforce. That means that they're not able to live off of anything but their retirement and Medicaid. Some estimates say that there's going to be 10,000 boomers turning 80 every single day. Every single day, there's going to be 10,000 more retired people that need places to live. A lot of them are going to need assisted living with nurses to staff them. It's 
And by 2030, 73 million boomers will be of retirement age. And that doesn't mean all of them aren't going to be able to support themselves. But a lot of them are not going to be able to support themselves. And as a growing number of people need long-term care because life expectancy is getting longer and longer, that means that you're going to have more of these people staying in these places longer, meaning that there's going to be more money necessary to take care of them. And if not having enough houses was bad enough, there's a staffing shortage when it comes to nursing, especially for these people. Most nurses do not want senile old people to be sitting there yelling at them to take care of them. They don't get paid enough. They don't d deserve that kind of disrespect and they're just not for it. So not only do we have a lack of housing, we have a lack of nurses and we have more people than ever reaching an age where they cannot take care of themselves. So yes, we pick on boomers sometimes, but this shatters the idea that it's just young people suffering from late stage capitalism. It's just not true. Boomers are suffering as well. And the question is, if this isn't addressed, what happens to all of these old people? Well, many of them will be forced to just keep working until they die. In fact, a Boston College study found that over 50% of working age people won't be able to retire, which means they'll have to just keep working forever. And if they can't work, if they become disabled or senile or too old, well, then many will just become unhoused and others will have to be taken care of by their family. Now go back to that first TikTok with the nurse who's living paycheck to paycheck. Imagine having to care for her parents. That's an extra mouth to feed. That's doctor's appointments that they're gonna have to take her parents to. It's a bigger strain on families if you have to balance work and school and being a full-time caretaker for your parents too. It's a lot, it's a huge burden and it doesn't have to be this way. But we were all told if we worked hard and put ourselves through school and we'd be able to do things, we'd be able to get a job and live the American dream that we were promised. But that's just not true. It's to the point where Americans are being financially punished for even trying to pursue the American dream and better themselves. For example, listen to this TikToker explain the scam that is student debt. I just checked my student loans because I needed to get the information to someone and what the fuck? I started with 80000 I have been paying for 10 years. Last year, I paid 6000 lump sum because that's really the only way to get it low. Uh, that took it down to 76000 after I've been paying for nine years. The grand total is I have paid $120,000 and I still owe seventy six. How the fuck is this possible? There's just no winning. And finally, after Biden announced that he'd cancel ten dollars to $20,000 of student debt, the Supreme Court took that away from us. And the same rich Congress people who got their PPP loans forgiven, including interest, had the audacity to scold people like her for not being fiscally responsible enough. Now, these are just a couple of examples, but if you zoom out, you begin to see that our entire economy simply does not function well for ordinary Americans, and it hasn't been this way for quite some time. But despite this, we're told the economy is doing amazing. Now, currently, there are some good economic indicators, but that doesn't mean that everyone is doing good. But despite most people not really doing as well as they should be doing, given how much wealth is in this country, presidents still brag about the economy. Trump bragged about the pre-pandemic economy all the time, and Biden is currently doing the same thing. He's bragging about Bidenomics and the economic recovery that he helped usher in. Now, 
To be clear, he does deserve some credit, but here's why it feels like things are still getting worse despite some changes to economic indicators. Jeff Stein of the Washington Post shared this chart, and as you can see, the people who are more likely to say that the economy is excellent now or good are richer, older, whiter, and they're more male, meaning that not everyone is benefiting from economic gains. In fact, most people are not. And to be fair, this isn't just Biden's fault. The richest 748 Americans saw their collective wealth increase by 77% thanks to Trump's 2017 tax cuts. And Oxfam reports that the richest 1% bagged nearly twice as much wealth as literally everyone on the planet combined during the pandemic. Now, in an op-ed for Jacobin, Matt Brunick explains that working Americans aren't feeling the effects of the economy because Democrats let the pandemic-era policies expire. This includes the child tax credit, the pause on student debt, expanded unemployment benefits, free school lunches, etc. Now, Brunick goes on to explain, what we got out of the Biden administration, legislatively speaking, was a third tranche of COVID stimulus, an infrastructure bill, and a climate bill. There were a few tweaks here and there to welfare, state, and labor market rules, but in general, the problems with those economic policy areas have gone unresolved. This is not because Biden never promised to do things in these areas or because Biden made no effort. Biden supported and urged the taking up of the left's leading labor market reform demand, the Pro-Union Pro-Act. He also supported and tried to pass the Build Back Better legislation that would have made changes in various welfare policy areas, including family benefits and home care benefits. But these things did not pass. Under the usual canon of democratic apologism, the left's disappointment at his failure is not supposed to be waved off by saying, actually, the economy is good, but instead by saying the cause of the failure is a handful of moderates in Congress, not Biden or the Democratic Party writ large. So this is why Bidenomics isn't landing. It feels tone deaf to just say that the economy is doing well when people are still struggling. So you're not going to be able to convince people that the economy is good if they are still living paycheck to paycheck and their condition isn't improving. And there's this misconception that Trump is better on the economy simply because things happen to feel better economically when he was president. But the policies that he put in place greatly exacerbated income and wealth inequality. And the things that Biden tried to put in place to mitigate that were thwarted by mansion and cinema. But rather than trying to convince people that the economy is good, I think that Biden needs to be honest. He needs to say that the economy is good, it's getting better, but there's still a lot of suffering going on. And if he's elected for a second term, he's going to try to make it better. Now, there's indications that Democrats are trying to tweak their economic message since just saying the economy is good hasn't been working. But I mean, if Trump's running on Make America Great Again, Biden should run on Revive the American Dream. That is something that I think could resonate with a lot of people. But until we get a president who is willing to make drastic changes to the economy and actually fight for the changes they're saying they want to make, Conditions for working class Americans are only going to continue to deteriorate. And that's what happens when all of the wealth is hoarded by a small group of elites. If you don't change that and redistribute wealth, things like this are going to continue to happen. People will continue to struggle.
Welcome to the ninth annual THR award show, the most prestigious award show on the internet. It is shocking to think that 2023 is almost over. This year just went by so fast. But what we do on these award shows every year is we reflect back on the year. We look at some highlights, some lowlights, and ultimately we vote on which ones were the most significant. Now, the way that it works is I make four nominations in each category, and I put it up to a vote on Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon. So without further ado, let's get to it because this year we're changing it up a little bit we're doing all of the awards in one video because i don't think it's nice for me to bombard your feed with like four or five videos when you could just get all the results in one video so the first category is the badass moment of 2023 now there were a lot of things to consider even though the year overall i think was bad there were some highlights here are my nominations tucker carlson getting fired from fox news also he was sent to cease and desist on top of that uh just happened a couple of weeks ago henry kissinger died if that's not a highlight of the year nothing is and there's also the ceasefire now protests and michaela kavanaugh's filibuster of a gender affirming care ban now, before we get to the results here, I want to give you some honorable mentions. Bethany Mandel humiliated herself while trying to describe Woke on Rising after she wrote a book about Woke. Mr. Beast defended his trans friend. Orcas decided to start destroying rich people's yachts. Kevin McCarthy was ousted. And a GOP book ban in Utah led to the Bible being banned as well, which uh, was really, really nice to see now we also had an incredible year when it comes to labor the uaw strikes the writers and actors strikes all honorable mentions if not the most badass moments arguably alone but when it comes to the results you all chose tucker carlson getting fired with henry kissinger dying as the runner-up now, the next category is the WTF moment of 2023. This is an overly broad category that usually contains things that are disturbing, sometimes just really silly and shocking, and also sometimes things that are really dreadful. Last year, Roe v. Wade getting overturned, for example, was the biggest WTF moment. But I think that this year, given all of the terrible things that have happened, this category needs reform, and I'll explain that in a moment. So the nominations are the East Palestine train derailment, Trump's multiple indictments the transphobic bud light meltdown and of course the gaza genocide um and now obviously that is by far and away the biggest wtf moment for all of you myself included and i think that just looking at the severity of some of the nominations here we really need to change this category altogether we've kind of stuck with it for too long i think there needs to be a wtf moment for less serious things and then there needs to be just the worst moment of the year for really horrible things supreme court decisions genocides things like that so going forward i absolutely intend on reforming this category but for the most part the gaza genocide is by far and away the most shocking wtf disturbing moment of the year and to even call it call it a moment is a bit of an understatement considering the fact that it's it's still happening so yeah it wasn't even close this time you know 80 percent on twitter 72% on YouTube and 70% on Patreon with the transphobic Bud Light meltdowns coming in second place. Now, when it comes to the next category, we have our shut the fuck up award. This is actually a new category and it's for people who don't necessarily rise to the level of scumbag, but they still kind of deserve their own little award in and of itself. So this includes Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Walsh, 
Moms for Liberty and Richie Torres. And you all decided that Marjorie Taylor Greene deserves our Shut the Fuck Up Award of 2023 with Matt Walsh coming in second place. And so those are all of the smaller categories, the TLDR categories, those are out of the way. But now we get to what you're all really here for. This is the Scumbag Award of 2023 and the MVP Award of 2023. I like to end on a positive note, so let's start off with the Scumbag Award. My nominations are Ron DeSantis, Elon Musk, Benjamin Netanyahu, and Joe Biden. Now, before we get to the results, I wanna look at the precedent for this award. Last year's winner was the Supreme Court in the aftermath of them overturning Roe v. Wade. And the year before was Manchinema. And also Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are our only two-time winners. Now, on top of that, there were a lot of honorable mentions. That includes Mike Johnson, Donald Trump, and uh, you could make the case for any of these folks, right? But Mike Johnson just got into power. He's, he's going to have much more time to actually get a nomination next year. Donald Trump, well, he's out of power currently, so he hasn't been able to do as much damage, even though he still is very much doing damage. So it's, it's difficult, but I think that these are honorable mentions that should be mentioned. But regardless, let's go ahead and get to the results. The biggest scumbag of 2023, according to Humanist Report viewers, without question, is Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister with 84% on Twitter, 71% on YouTube and 83% on Patreon, all agreeing unequivocally that this man is the biggest scumbag of 2023 and the runner-up was elon musk but let's get to some comments tim on patreon says bb is the obvious shoo-in but honorable mention goes to desantis in my opinion for being so openly bigoted and enacting laws just to make people suffer adam on patreon writes all of them are fascists but one is directly responsible for a genocide period totally agree agent of chaos on patreon writes javier Millet, who recently won the argentine presidential election deserves a dishonorable mention absolutely Absolutely agree with that. JBD8 on YouTube says Netanyahu's the one who has proportionally caused the most death and suffering in the shortest amount of time, so my vote goes to him. Corin on YouTube writes, as a trans woman, it's extremely tempting to say DeSantis as he more directly impacts me, but my vote has to go towards Netanyahu because anyone directly responsible for a genocide has to earn the title. Yeah. SpongeBrain on YouTube writes, I would have said DeSantis if Netanyahu wasn't straight up doing a genocide. And now it's the most important moment the MVP award. Now, fun fact about the MVP award, it has been named the Bernie Sanders award because he has won literally every single year since this award show began. And uh, that's not hyperbole. <laughs> so he actually, spoiler alert, does not win this year. So we've got a bit of a combo breaker and a new MVP. And there's a reason for that. It's because Bernie wasn't nominated, so he didn't have the chance to win. And I never foresaw a year when I wouldn't nominate Bernie Sanders for being MVP, but I just couldn't do it because he refuses to call for a ceasefire. Still, he is better on that issue than other senators, but the bar is so low. And when you can't do the bare minimum, I can't say you're MVP. You could do better. So hopefully he gets back on the nominations list next year, but he's going to have to work really hard to do that because... He fucked up. But having said that, though, we do have some new candidates. And my nominations include Zoe Zephyr, who is a trans lawmaker 
who spoke truth to power in her state and was punished for it. And there's also Michaela Kavanaugh in Nebraska, who led a months-long filibuster to stop a ban on gender-affirming care. And uh, guess what? Even though she wasn't successful in the end, she proved that you don't have to lay down and die if you're a Democrat. She set a blueprint as to how other Democrats should respond to this type of legislation. On top of that, we have Sean Fain, UAW president. I don't think I need to explain why he deserves this title, but he is absolutely one of the most important people in the country right now with regard to the labor movement. And my last nomination is Rashida Tlaib. She's a Palestinian American who decided to speak truth to power, and she was also punished for it. And what she's saying is incredibly important. Now, before we get to the results, there's some honorable mentions that I want to go over here. Uh, the other is kind of like a duo, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson of Tennessee, who were expelled and then subsequently reelected after the GOP in their state accused them of doing an insurrection because they decided to stand in solidarity with gun rights activists or gun control activists, rather. I think that they really showed, like Zoe Zephyr and Michaela Kavanaugh, that you can you can actually fight. You don't have to just lie down and get steamrolled just because you're in the minority. And I think that these are two leaders in this country that are going to do really big things. So they deserve an honorable mention. Other individuals that deserve honorable mentions, Tortuguita. Stop Cop City activist, Rafat Alarir, a Palestinian poet beloved by a lot of people who was killed by the IDF. Just horrible situation. So I think that these people deserve just their names to be brought up in any conversation about 2023 because they really did have a lasting impact. All of these people did. But with that being said, these are the results. The winner and the Humanist Report's MVP of 2023 is Rashida Tlaib with 67% on Twitter, 63% on YouTube, and 55% on Patreon, all agreeing she's this year's most valuable person. And the runner-up was Sean Fain with 33% on Twitter, 25% on YouTube, and 34% on Patreon. Now let's get to the comments. Forrest Miller on Twitter had a hard time choosing this year's MVP, but ultimately went with Rashida Tlaib. Yeah, this one was really tough. Alex Kawa on Twitter says, MVP is undoubtedly Sean Fain. He has shown the true potential of what the new labor movement can and will accomplish in the years to come, and so many union organizers will be inspired by him. Rashida Tlaib is a close second, given her being a lone reasonable voice on Israel-Palestine. Mike on Patreon writes, All are good, but I will say Rashida, since even with APAC and their goons barreling down on her, she is doing all she can to find a ceasefire and hold Israel accountable for the actions if only the other dems had a spine instead of jelly to stand against this right-wing government scott on youtube writes i went with fane as a uaw member i know some people were disappointed with the contracts but you're not going to make up 40 years of concessions in one contract and it was a very good contract also what fane represents moving forward could become the largest labor movement in history especially if he can pull off unionizing half of auto workers he is targeting zello on youtube writes zoe zephyr i respect her so much being a trans woman myself. Joseph O on YouTube says, I went with Rashida Tlaib because of her standing up against the genocide of the Palestinian people and not backing down even though her colleagues voted to censure her. But I do want to add that Zoe Zephyr came in close second. I would love to see more of her and hope she can expand her political career on a national level like a House or Senate seat. That'd be amazing. So there you have it. Another year, another award show down. If you didn't get a chance to participate in this, comment down below. Let me know who's your MVP. 
who is your scumbag? Uh, what do you think I should do to make the categories more representative of the events throughout the year? Let me know, uh, especially your MVP and uh, scumbag, because I do think that there is an argument to be made. I personally support Rashida Tlaib, but I think there is definitely an argument to be made for Sean Fain or, or someone else, perhaps. So comment down below. And yeah, I hope you all enjoy the show. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.